welcome to Bible Talks, where I will be talking about the Bible history and drama that you didn't know about. My name is Mariana Monoscal. Thank you for joining today. And also thanks to my lovely friend and co-host, Sonia Louise, for joining us on today's episode, talking about the English Bible timeline and all the different translations. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Hi, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about whatever we're going to talk about. Perfect. So my first question, I do have a question for you, because we both grew up in the church and everything, so I just wanted to know, like, what do you know or remember the history of like the English Bible specifically? Because I don't remember anything learning much about when yeah. anything. Yeah, that's a good question. Jeez, I feel like in church, like if you're thinking like Sunday school and Awana, you know, and just the stuff that we did through church, I don't think there's a ton of Bible, especially English translation translation history i mean you we've been friends a really long time you know my mom and she's a english nerd through and through so <laughs> just being her child and in her household learned a little bit about it and she's always been fascinated with language and not only like how it is now but where it came from and i do remember at one point i was probably in like middle school asking her what kind of bible i should get and did not understanding that it's not just about what the cover looks like and how cute the bible is because <laughs> <Yeah>. different because <laughs> like different translations have different kinds of undertones um uh, exactly. you know i think that's when she was like well you know the even though it's the same bible like there's different translations and mm -hmm. you know some are easier to understand some are harder to understand some are a little sneaky and aren't yes. necessarily ethical <laughs> so yes growing up with you and your mom it was just I knew those things, but I don't think I ever really understood why and things like that. Yeah. And I didn't really understand the drama surrounding the Bible, because like obviously we knew about the stuff in the Roman church and like conquistadores and, you know, just trying to like spread either Catholicism or Christianity, but like never really the details of what that looked like. And like researching all this stuff, it honestly sounds like somebody could make a really good TV show out of this. So I'm going to do a quick recap of the history before English, really where the Bible started um, and things like that, just in case the people who are listening don't know. So we both know this. The first record of the Bible was the Ten Commandments um, when God wrote them for Moses. And that was supposedly about like 3,500 years ago, 1400 BC. And the original language was a form of Hebrew. And it's not anything close to what we know as Hebrew today, but it's definitely like in that family. According to like this antique Bible store article that I found, the Torah, like if it was written down on scrolls and if you were to roll it out, it would be 150 feet long. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting and they would have written it on sheepskin and it would have taken like the entire flock just to write <laughs> the, like oh, one. No. One complete Torah would be the entire flock. Oh no. I well, know. I guess then they would have like a huge feast too, because we're gonna do all that. And so from there, 900 years passed, and basically the 39 books of the Old Testament were practically complete. And this would be around like 500 BC. And in those 500 years before Christ, the Apocrypha was completed. And I didn't know what the Apocrypha was either. That's like 14 books, and they were actually written in Greek instead of the ancient Hebrew. 
And so like the Apocrypha, the New Testament was also in Greek and it was finished by the first century. And the first translation that was done of it was in Latin and it was called the Latin Vulgate, which was done in 382 AD. So add a couple more centuries and then now we're over 500 languages of Bible translations that it could be read in. Only a century later, in 600 AD, the Roman Catholic Church was like, mm, no, you know what? <laughs> it's only allowed to be read in Latin. <laughs> they went as far as to restrict the translation. Basically, if anybody was found reading it or just having a copy of a different language, they would basically be killed. Yeah. We move into like the dark and middle ages. So like 400 to 1400 AD. This is the cause of the separation from the church because a lot of people were against, you know, not being able to read it. Continuing with the same article that I mentioned earlier, they asked a really good and interesting question. Where was the true church of God during the dark ages? You know, you only think about the Roman Catholic Church. That's it. But what they were saying, it was actually on a Scottish island. Huh. I know, yeah. And it was, the island's called Iona, or it was. I'm not sure if it is still at this point. They basically started the whole Protestant separation of the church, you know, like Christianity. That's kind of where it started from. And then, like, growing up in the church, you just hear about the Roman Catholic at least I did. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know. It's really funny. Like, as you were going over the summary, I, like, remember my mom talking about all those different things. The Latin. I remember learning about all that. Yeah, so, like, for me, it was just, oh, it's just the Roman Catholic Church. That's where Christianity came from. I didn't even know how they split or anything. But, like, you don't think about the, the Celts, the Northmen, the Danes. And, like, that's where the English language originated from. Like, they were the beginning of that. From them... That's when we get the four Gospels translated into Old English. And it's called the Wessex Gospels, and they were done in 995 AD. And I actually, I have a copy of them, and let me show you what they look like. Okay. Like, not readable at all. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it looks like English, but like drunk English, but like worse than <laughs> drunk English. Yeah, it really does. And I found, not a translator, but basically like a pronunciation guide, but that and um, the are kind of still the same. They're just spelt differently, but I just thought it was very interesting. And I'll also go on through like the changes that they went through a little bit. But anyways, so now we're at the English Bible. And the first one that was completed was actually by John Wycliffe. And this was in 1380. So it wasn't just him, it was him and like a bunch of other people, but primarily it was his translation. Um, and he was a professor, and he was really well known for his opposition against the Catholic Church. The Pope that, at that time, I'm not sure which one it was, but he was very upset that Wycliffe finished the Bible into English. And 44 years, I don't know why he waited this long, but 44 years after Wycliffe's death, he had his grave dug up, had his bones crushed, and then he like just scattered them in a river. The Pope did? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds petty. That's what I'm saying. Guys are dead leave him alone i know 44 years why'd you wait <laughs> oh yeah he was just that hung up on it but anyways after that so since wycliffe was such like a prominent professor at oxford he had a lot of uh, followers that really agreed with his ideas and his opposition against the church and a lot of them ended up getting killed because of that burned at the stake and the kindling that they used was the manuscripts of wycliffe's translation <laughs> so that's poetic also, I looked up the Pope. Do you want to know who it was? Yes, I do. It was Pope 
Martin V. Oh, wow, Martin. What a petty guy. I kind of want to go back and be like, why did you? I just want to know why he waited so long. Yeah. Like, he must have been old. It says, spring of 1428, a group of churchmen dug up the bones of Wycliffe and burned them. This grisly enterprise was carried out at the instruction of Pope Martin V. Wow. Why? The guy's already dead. <laughs> I'm not sure. This is from the British Library also. <laughs> um... Then we move forward to 1539 and we got the Great Bible. And this is the first Bible that was authorized for public use. And the Bible was actually ordered to be done by King Henry VIII because he wanted to divorce his wife and marry his mistress. So he denounced the church. And in doing so, he was like, you know what? I'm going to be the new head of the church. And I basically need a Bible for my church. And so he had the great Bible done. Um, with that, King's Henry Church is what's known as the Church of England, also the Anglican Church. So it's not truly Roman Catholic, nor is it Protestant. And then after King Henry dies in 1547, Edward VI takes over until he dies in 1553. So nothing important with him. But now we get to Queen Mary, who's the Bloody Mary. When I started reading this, all I could picture was like, wow, she's basically the Queen of Hearts. <laughs> she just like up with their heads, like <laughs> she because she murders comparison. Yeah, because she murders like hundreds of Protestants by the stake, you know, because mm -hmm. they were just wanting to read the Bible in English. Mm. She's crazy. Um so anyways, in 1560 we got the Geneva Bible, which I want to find a copy of it because it sounds really cool. So this is the first Bible to ever have the verse numbers and margins. Oh that's interesting. Yeah. And it's considered the first study bible ever because the margin notes are very extensive and it includes a lot of controversial things about the roman catholic and how the latin vulgate is basically it's not a correct translation from the original hebrew and it has a lot of misleading things in it oh, that, interesting yeah so wait that's that's so weird that they would like that the latin vulgate is misleading and is different because nobody else could read it so right but like it doesn't so then like it, like if you're trying to like manipulate people wouldn't you want it to be in a translation that everybody could read that's what's like weird like right that's true because how can you i mean i guess unless you yourself but no it doesn't make sense because you if you yeah translating it then it doesn't matter if it's manipulative or not you can just be whatever you want right because like the roman catholic church they would only read like passages from the bible to people like people who couldn't read you know and stuff like that but it'd be in latin and they couldn't speak latin so it doesn't make <laughs> so any it doesn't sense. Make sense but anyways so we got the geneva bible that's the first study bible and then there were 144 editions printed of that one and this is actually the first bible that's taken to america and it had a very large influence on the King James Version and for some reason I'm not sure why it's really hard to find because it's been out of print since 1644 oh dang they just discontinued printing it I wonder if it I guess so but the this Bible it went on to influence like all the rest basically but yeah anyways so by the 1600 um, I think the Roman Church was starting to feel kind of like pressure about potentially losing their power because that's when they came out with their own English translation in 1609 so this was was known as the Roman Catholic English Bible or the Rames New Testament and then the Douay Old Testament so a combination of both and they're named different because they were translated at two different universities this translation was directly from the Latin Vulgate so it still had all of the manipulations in it and the wrong stuff so 
I can't remember where. It's still on that website, on that Antique Bibles website. Um, they talk about how somebody had put side by side the, it was either the Wycliffe Bible and the Roman Catholic English Bible or the Geneva and the Roman Catholic, just to kind of show like how different they are. Yeah. And so I, yeah. the Roman Catholic English Bible, that's the one that you said was the translation from the Direct- Vulgate, right? Yeah, directly. Okay. So that one would be honestly really interesting to find and to read. And, and to, see like, how different it is. Yeah. To the translations today, because so far all of the, the old ones were really popular. But once we get King James as king, that's when his obviously becomes more popular. He's like, read mine. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, the King's James Bible was influenced by all of the above translations, and it was done by fifty different scholars. Basically, the Bible that was made for the church, for the people, but without the controversial margin notes that the Geneva Bible had. <laughs> and fun fact, I think I told you this before when I found it, but Noah Webb. Webster, the dictionary dude, did his own translation. I want to find it so bad, but it didn't get popular. That's okay. He's got a dictionary. Yeah. In the 1880s, we get the first translation that doesn't include the 14 Apocrypha books in the revision. So basically, all the translations that I just told you had all 80 books in it. No explanation why, they just decided not to include it. Oh, that's interesting. I always thought that it was, well, I guess I didn't have a specific reason for thinking that either, but I always thought that it was because the Apocrypha couldn't, I don't know, they couldn't like 100% be, what's it called, authenticated? There you go. Yeah, and this, this article does talk about that, about the fact that they didn't include it for so many years and they, they didn't really have a reason to it made christian like modern christians so us basically believe that there was something very catholic about the apocrypha but like the, there's really no explanation why and the revision like the first one that doesn't include them is called like the english revised version and it's like a direct translation of the kgb it just doesn't include the 14 books in the 1900s is when we get all the newest ones that like are really popular today so like the american standard version that one was done in 1901 and it's almost the exact reprint of the english revised version in 1971 it was revised again and this one is now as like the new american standard bible so like the ones that we know is like nas and these ones are actually they're considered to be the most accurate translation word for word from the greek and the hebrew scriptures oh interesting yeah because it focuses on the accuracy instead of readability that makes sense yeah because th- that one was so, was so focused on the accuracy it was very hard to read um in 1971 the the niv was printed the new international version and it was printed to be a dynamic equivalent of the nasb and this one was like phrase by phrase instead of word for word that makes sense because yeah. it's ugh, translation is ridiculous but that makes more sense instead of trying to break it down word by word especially in something like greek and hebrew into english because the language styles are just so different Mm -hmm. um that going phrase by phrase and like the intent behind the phrase and like the imagery or you know whatever it is behind the whole phrase is conveyed instead of specifically the words because like you said, then doesn't read well and might not really make that much sense. Yeah, exactly. But it's very interesting because a lot of people don't like the NIV. Which I always thought was really interesting and always made me sad because I feel like that's what we always used at church. And so when people don't like yeah. the NIV, it's like, hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it does. For me, it's always been the NIV and the ESV. Yeah. Which yeah. the ESV makes more sense because it's it's the Bible that bridges the gap between NIV and yeah. that one. That one's more popular. It's more widely accepted now. I have an 
ESV study Bible now. I think as I've grown up and become an adult, I do really enjoy ESV, but NIV for the nostalgia. You know. On a couple of the websites that I found, they always say that NIV is used primarily for young people because it's mm. more readable. But yeah, yeah, nowadays I use the ESV. That one only came out in 2002. The ESV? Yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. When, when did the NIV come out? I'm so sorry. It's okay, 1973. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I, for some reason I think of them as like a lot older. Older? Yeah, me too. <laughs> If you had to just, if you had to on the fly describe like the tone of NAS or NASB or, you know, like the style of it, cause like King James, it's easy to describe. It's oldie. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, thy and thou. Which actually that was taken out in 1982. Oh, rude. <laughs> That's what the King James is all about. Yes. So this is John chapter one in the Wycliffe translation. And it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was at God and God was the word. This was in the beginning at God. But beginning being spelled B-I-G-Y-N-N-Y-N-G for those for the listeners. <laughs> I should send this to your mom. I feel like she would like that. Yeah, she probably would. I had a professor at San Joaquin Delta College who used to be able to read to us in Middle and Old English. Yeah, so this is the Old English and it starts here. On. On. On ongen arst was word, word, sorry, word, and, or is it und? That word was, was mit God. That's all I can do. <laughs> That's interesting. And then, und God was the word. That's all I got for you. Nice. Wow. Bravo. I don't even know if that's correct. That's from, that's what I could get from my little pronunciation sheets. Mm-hmm. And that's basically all I have for you. Hey. That is interesting. So, how many versions? of the Bible did we just go through? All right, let me see. Let's go. Um, we had the Wycliffe. Not counting the not counting the Wessex Bible because that's just the, the first couple books. And that's not a complete translation. So the Wycliffe was the first completed English translation. The Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Roman Catholic English Bible, the KJV Bible, the Noah Webster Bible, the ERV Bible, which was just replacing the KJV, ASV, the NASV, NIV, the New King James Version, and the ESV. Oh, that's what? 12? That's 12. That's as many as there were disciples. That's where we have to end. Oh, wow. That's perfect. Oh, another fun fact. So, So I told you that the first Bible that came to America was the Geneva Bible. Well, the first Bible that was actually printed in America wasn't even in English. It was a Algo- it was an Indian language. I'm going to butcher this. Native Algonquin? Algonquin, yeah. That's how yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. Okay. Algonquin Indian language. And it was by John Elliot in 1660. Yeah, that is very cool. So what are your like final thoughts? Like what's your conclusion after doing all this research? Um, it's just a lot more clear on why there's just so many translations. You know, people just have different opinions on how the Bible should be read, whether it's, you know, more word for word or phrase by phrase. And and basically the whole translation just came about because the Roman Catholic Church, you know, mandated that it was only supposed to be read in Latin. So I thought that was really interesting that translations kind of came out as a way to like protest and fight against oppression again mm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense and that is really interesting that it's like the roman catholic church trying to stifle like the bible being accessible to everybody and like kind of like the freedom of religion being your own thing yeah and so that's like what led everybody to kind of take on their own interpretations and make all these different versions was like well no like 
even though even though you know the church is like the system or the structure like the house of christianity or catholicism or you know religion of any kind it's like at the end of the day it's an individual experience and so them mm -hmm. trying to shut that down like let everybody to be like actually no we don't agree with that and we want to explore the bible and god and religion for ourselves and be able to kind of talk about it amongst ourselves and that's what we're doing now and like if people had just gone okay roman catholic church whatever you say then we would either know latin which would honestly be kind of cool that but, would be really cool <laughs> but not very many people would be able to like read the bible for themselves and i feel like a lot of like discovery comes from just being able to flip through the pages and read through yourself and play bible roulette and like open yeah. to a random book and read a few verses and yeah know, and honestly like not not even just uh you know learning new things within the bible but also learning like new things within yourself mm -hmm. the fact that you can read it kind of makes you stop and think about who you are as a person and it, you know reflect on yourself and that would be very different if we wouldn't be able to yeah we, we had the latin vulgate totally and so kind of the only other question that comes to my mind that i'm like a little bit curious about you know you were talking about how the translations it's basically like you know oh is it more important to be super accurate to like the, I'm forgetting exactly what you said, but like the words specifically or getting the ideas across? Like, did you ever come to a conclusion of like what you think is like the better route? Is it better to be as accurate as possible to like the original language or is it better to have a readable translation that people will be able to understand and like get the idea across? I'm not sure. Going into this, I always thought with any translation, because you know, you get you know, subtitles in movies and you get, you know, different translations of instructions in little pamphlets of things that you buy and for me it always was like I always thought word for word would be better but it's really not it's like phrase by phrase makes more sense because you still get the same idea across but in a way where people can actually read it because mm -hmm. languages just have different structures not everything is in the same structure as what we think as English mm -hmm. you know subject totally. of, like uh, what is it subject verb object or subject object and verb you know like structures mm -hmm different on how we bring things into a sentence and how we like see things in our in our brain and how we process things so overall i really think now going through this phrase by phrase is a lot better but there is a lot of room for error with phrase by phrase yeah like, kind of like how they did with the last translation with esv that's probably the way to go because it's a little bit of both yeah and that's really interesting because i feel like that's true in a lot of things in life <laughs> so it's like you can almost turn it to like an even bigger big picture because there's always different sides to a story or different mm -hmm. sides to opinion or like anything like that and so taking a little bit from each side and seeing which aligns you know which aligns more or even just kind of creating something in the middle that's like a product of yeah. both it just reminded me of the uh the nursery book or whatever like goldilocks and the three bears <laughs> <laughs> the and this boring. one's just right right <laughs> yeah like that we should all be goldilocks except for no home invasion yes yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Right. Dude, that's, that's cool. Where, that's where I leave you with everything just right. Perfect. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for joining in and talking with me about Bible and just translations and yeah, the linguistical values that can go into it. Yeah, it was thank fun. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And if you would like to look up all my notes, um, everything is going to be linked in the description section. Um, So go take a look at that. Awesome. Okay, cool. It was good to be here. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>